Um, today, I got a text from Frank Moy. Many of you have been praying for him. He is uh, on his, uh, just completed his fourth round of chemo, and uh, that will be the, uh, uh, he'll have to wait now for a month for that to kick in, but this is what he says, and I have a text from him this, from this morning. Thanks to my LIAC family for their love and blessing. I just got the fruit basket and everything with the fruit, the salmon, the crackers. It looks delicious. God will make a way and heal us. Have a wonderful worship service. I've been listening to the sermons online. So he's with us and he's been listening. And uh, Lori and I were able to uh, spend a little time with them on Friday. And uh, the Lord is keeping him and strengthening him in the midst of what he's going through. And it ties right into uh, the message today that we read about the, uh, about the glory of groaning. And I want to talk about this today because I believe that God is always at work in our lives, even through the most difficult times in our life. He is always at work. He's doing something inside us. Sometimes we can't see it, we can't feel it, but God is at work. And so don't lose hope. In, uh, in January of 1941, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed Congress on the state of World War II in Europe. The United States was just about to go to battle, and um, much of what he said in his speech has totally been forgotten. But a lot of the things that he said at the very end of his speech, he said that he had a vision and a hope that there would be freedom in the world, that somehow there'd be a freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And just a few weeks ago, I was in uh, Stockton, Massachusetts, and I went to the Norman Rockwell Museum. Anybody know who Norman Rockwell is? You guys know? Yeah, He's, he's a famous illustrator, famous American illustrator, probably the most prolific artist of the 20th century in the United States. But in 1943, he was asked by the Saturday Evening Post to take Franklin Delano Roosevelt's speech and the four freedoms that he talked about and illustrate them. And Norman Rockwell had this gift of being able to tell a story through a painting. And so when he wrote these things, when he drew these uh, four freedoms, uh, freedom from want, he put a Thanksgiving meal with a huge feast, Uh, the freedom from fear that uh, a father and mother are putting their children to bed and there's no fear there, Uh, the freedom of speech, a man standing up in the midst of a public meeting and being able to speak out exactly what he's feeling although some people are disagreeing with him. And then the freedom of worship, of everybody being able to worship as God has guided them and uh, as they, they feel as though there is freedom into worship. And what, uh, what these did is these paintings were used by the U.S. government then to raise war bonds, and they raised over $132 million for the war during that time, to defeat Nazi Germany. And so there was this movement that happened based on this speech by Franklin Roosevelt. But you know, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he mentions four freedoms as well. 
They're not the same freedoms here. But there are four freedoms that he declares freedom in Romans chapter 8. And they're your freedom and they're my freedom if we follow and are being led by the Holy Spirit. There's freedom from condemnation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That God has given us complete freedom. There is total, our guilt is removed. Our regrets are removed from the past because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who have received forgiveness. Then there's freedom from fear. In Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, God hasn't given us a spirit of free, but a spirit of adoption. And we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, God, you, I belong to you. You are mine. We talked about that last week. And today I want to talk about the freedom of, from despair. Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. We're going to talk about that. And then the final message on this series is going to be called Freedom from Defeat. And, and the Lord has so much for us in this chapter, Romans chapter 8. So there's times when, if you're discouraged, turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and read it. But read it slowly and try not to be distracted, but to apply what you've learned from, that, from these scriptures because they're so powerful and they do encourage. How many people know that being a Christian does not exempt you from suffering, but the Holy Spirit will minister to you meaning, purpose, hope in the midst of your suffering. When I met with Frank the other day, what he was saying is, Al, I haven't given up hope. God is still doing something. I he shared, I really had some dark days. The first two weeks were very difficult. But he says, God has been bringing me out and he's giving me more hope and more strength and God is working in me. And so the Apostle Paul is writing here, not from a theory, but from experience. If you know the Apostle Paul and the history of the Apostle Paul, a lot of times the guy is going through some difficult times. I mean... These are some of the things that he went through. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was shipwrecked. He was robbed. He was mauled by wild animals. He was stoned near to death, left for dead. He had an incurable sickness that he struggled with. Some think it was an eye disease. Others say it was a speech impediment. And here he was as somebody that was supposed to be a preacher, and he might have even had a speech impediment. It didn't stop there. He was detained and unjustly arrested and put in prison. Horrible conditions. Had to go through a trial, an unjust trial. He was delayed the decision. He had to spend two years in a prison. The prisons back then were not nice. They didn't have any human rights there that they, they would take care of prisoners. People had to come and feed him and, or you didn't eat. But he saw people do, he saw God do miraculous healings through his ministry, and yet there were times when it seems like God wasn't doing anything in his life. And so I think about that. And I think about how Paul is experiencing all these things and what he, what he went through, and yet he still remained faithful to God. And what was it that kept Paul going in the midst of these difficulties? And he talks about it in Romans 8, verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And what he's saying is, the glory that I'm going to experience in heaven 
has no comparison to what I'm going through here on earth. And so he's looking forward to this time when he's going to be in the presence of God. And the glory of God is going to be revealed. But the Apostle Paul talks about two things. He talks about glory and he talks about groaning. Does anybody know what glory means? Why don't we read this together? From John Piper it says, The glory of God... Read it with me. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. The glory of God. That's a lot of words there. What does that mean? When you think about it, the glory of God is manifest. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. So when you look around at creation, when you look at the stars, when you study the intricacies of the universe and the design and the plan that God has, you can see glory. You can see the hand of God, the handiwork of God there. You can see it in a flower. You can even see it in an insect. You can see it in nature. There's so many ways you can see the glory of God. And the glory of God is the infinite beauty and the greatness of God in so many different ways and so many different perfections that he's done. But then the Apostle Paul takes the glory of God and he brings it alongside the groaning. The groaning. Now this is what groaning means. A low, mournful sound uttered in pain or grief. The groans of dying soldiers is an example. Now, I want, to, I want us to do something. I want us to give a collective groan. Have you ever groaned? When you wake up in the morning, on Monday morning, you've got to go to work, or you've got to go back to school. Thank God you've got some of you have off tomorrow, right? But Tuesday morning, let's say, let's say, say that groan. Oh, come on, a little louder. Oh. That's the groan. The groan. The groan, a low, mournful, uttered in pain or grief, is a groan. And so Paul uses both these terms and he puts them together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to see that when you're groaning, there is an opportunity for the glory of God to be manifest in your life. Now that doesn't make sense, does it, in the natural? It doesn't. But when you're groaning, when you're in that valley that you're going down into a difficult time in your life and you're groaning, there's also an opportunity for God to lift you up. And he can lift you up and work in your life in a powerful way. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, when we're thinking about the sufferings I've gone through, they're nothing in comparison. He says, do the math. There's nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed. So today I want to talk about a trifecta of groans. The creation groans, right? The Bible says the creation groans. Believers groan. And the Holy Spirit groans. And it's all right here in this little passage here. Why does the Apostle Paul talk about groaning so much? I think the Apostle Paul is talking about groaning because he sees so much of it in the world. Now, we're talking about, if you think about what, how we're looking about our environment today, the fires in Australia, the natural disasters, the earthquake that happened in the Philippines, there is something happening in our world today 
that is causing uh, cataclysmic uh, uh, disasters happening. And then there's also the pollution and the environment of our, of our, of our world, right? Like we've, we've gone beyond the use of, uh, we've gone to abuse a lot of our natural resources and polluted. And we're suffering the consequences of it. When we were in Passion 2020, there was a whole message by Levi Lesko about the Dust Bowl and how the Dust Bowl in the 1920s, there was farmers that would dig up the uh, land with tractors and combines in the Midwest, and they dug up all the prairie grass that held the soil in the prairies. And when they dug it up, and then there was a drought, it turned to dust. And these huge dust storms came. But it was a result of the neglect of the environment. It was the greatest environmental disaster in the history of the United States. We don't often talk about it. It happened in the 1930s. But there was these huge dust storms. People died from it. People inhaled the dust and they died of pneumonia. There's thousands of people that died. The dust went all the way to New York City. The dust came in through all the way to New York City back in the 1930s. So I am not, I, I, I don't know a lot about environment or about climate change, but I know that this world that we live in is fallen. It's been cursed. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, there's been a curse put on the world. So even though we can see the glory of God and the beauty of creation, we also experience in creation the struggle of creation. And there's disasters that happen. The Bible says something about this. It says that um, verse 19 and uh, verse 21 says, for the creation, saying about the creation, he says that even the creation is groaning and waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting for God's timing when Jesus will come back and it will be renewed. Do you know that the world has an expiration date on it? That there will be a time when the world will come to an end and have to be renewed in God. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, all creation is waiting for this time. And while they're waiting and decay, and chaos, and pollution, and all those things are happening, the earth is groaning. It's waiting for the adoption of God's people. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, by God. In hope, though, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And so all of creation is waiting. This is what Paul says. All of creation is waiting for this time when there'll be a renewal. And it's a picture also of you and I. When we're going through struggles, when we're going through difficulties, there's going to be a time when those struggles are taken care of when Jesus comes back. 
There'll be a one day a great reverse of the curse, a renewal of the entire planet when Christ comes back and the glory of God will be revealed, even in a greater way through creation. Creation, Bible says, is groaning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Has anybody been in a room or when somebody is going to have a baby? Like men, you can't have a baby, but you can be in the room when it's happening. It is not a quiet time. It is not a quiet time. There is groaning going on. There is crying going on. There is pain. But there is a new birth that's happening. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul describes this marvelous things that's going to happen someday when Jesus comes back. And he says the whole creation is waiting for this. So I want to tell you, you know, we need to be more environmentally conscious and not pollute. But I want to tell you there is nothing that we can do to stop the reverse of the curse. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can reverse the curse. And he's going to do it someday. I always think about C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, story, The Chronicles of Narnia. When in Narnia, there's this beautiful place in Narnia and it's restored. But, you know, the neat thing is that the, the animals, they talk. I wonder, when we get up to heaven and God renews all things, we're going to be able to have a little conversation with our dog and, and, and uh, the insect flying by. Hey, what's, what's going on? The bee. You know, we don't know. We don't know how God is going to renew all things, but there's something that happened when Adam and Eve fell and there was the curse that happened and there was difficulties and struggles and all those things happened. Jesus even mentions this. He says this. When the disciples asked him, they said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answers, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. There's going to be a lot of different people that claim they are the answer to the world. They are the Messiah. They're the Savior. They'll deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. World War I, World War II, Rocky, you know, so many different wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes in various places. The birth pains of creation. These are the beginning of birth pains. These are just the beginning of birth pains. So God is going to bring about His purpose and His plan. And He wants us to be a part of that plan and purpose. And then he comes, and then the Apostle Paul says this. He says, don't be upset with these things. Jesus was even saying, these things are going to be happening. Don't let them hijack you away and cause you despair and lose all hope because these things are going to happen. But you find yourself in me. You find your hope in me. Not in the government. Not in who's president and who's not president. Not even in in the environment. Don't find your hope in natural food. Find your hope 
in me. You can eat natural food. You can care for the environment. But find your hope in Jesus Christ. He's the one that will never change. He's the one that will always come through for you. The Apostle Paul knew it because he experienced it. And then he wrote it down for us. Then it says the believers groan. He says this, not only so, but not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come into our life. The very presence of God has come into our life and given us hope, given us the power to live for God. We have the first fruits. We've received that from God. And yet, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Even though we have received this hope and this power from the Holy Spirit, there's something that has not yet happened. We still get sick. We still struggle. We still sometimes deal with anxiety, fear, the unknown. God has promised us everything that we need for life and godliness, but in the midst of it, we're struggling. And this is what he's saying. He says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship. Can you just imagine the Apostle Paul sitting in prison? It's not three weeks. It's not six months. It's two years. And he's done all this mission work and he's wondering, God, why do you have me sitting here in prison when I could be out there helping other people? And I I believe the Apostle Paul was groaning inwardly. But yet his groans turned him towards God is in control. He's the one that I can trust in. And I hope when you and I get up in the morning and we start to groan. or When you're dealing with something in your life and you start to groan about it. I hope your groan just doesn't lead to despair or frustration or anger, but it will lead you to the hope in God. Because really, that's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. That's what He wants to do. Believers are groaning, but they groan towards hope. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. Going through suffering doesn't mean that God is against you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Going through suffering does not mean if you get sick or if you get cancer or something happens, God forbid, but if something happens to you, it doesn't mean that God is is against you, abandoned you, or forsaken you. Now the people that, when Job went through all that stuff, he had a few friends that said that to him. Job, you must have done something wrong. You must, you know, God must be judging you because you didn't, you know, you, you have a bad attitude towards him. And Job's friends were exposed for the bad advice they gave. God had a perfect plan. God had a plan for glory. It was the beauty and the perfections of God were going to be seen in Job's life. And when he went through the suffering, he came out different than when he went in. 
And the same thing happens to you and I. God's presence, His power, His hope hold us. It's an anchor for our soul in the midst of our storms. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. The Apostle Paul talks about this so many times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, all this is for your benefit. And he talks about all the things that he's gone through. And he says, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people might cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He's saying, everything I went through, God used it, and he changed it. What the enemy meant for evil was turned to good. And he said, that, that turning has turned out to thanksgiving to God. I'm trusting God in the midst of it. And so he says this, therefore we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Because outwardly we might be wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us. 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 17 and 18, chapter 4, says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Again, he uses that Idea again, suffering to glory, it outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen unseen is eternal. So when you turn your groaning into a time of hope and not despair, when you worship and trust God in the midst of your suffering, you're bringing God the glory that he deserves. But you say, Pastor Al, how could I do this? How could I ever have that type of faith? And I want to tell you, the only way that we can have that type of faith is to have our life empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. There's got to be some other strength than our own strength. And that's why I believe when we pray for people, when God does a work in people, sometimes it's something that is beyond what they have within themselves. It's something that God pours into them. Whether it be healing, whether it be strength, whether it be hope, whether it be to look at things completely different than they ever thought they could. God does that. It says here that the Holy Spirit also groans. So not only does creation groan, not only do believers groan, but the Holy Spirit is groaning. Did you ever think about that? What does the Holy Spirit sound like when he's groaning? Well, you can't really know. It says he groans with words that are wordless groans. So we know that it could be, oh. But the Holy Spirit, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Isn't that great to know? That the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, is interceding, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, if we can get our groan in line with the groans of the Holy Spirit, then something can happen in our lives. When we're groaning either about a situation, we're groaning about people, we're groaning about something that's happening in our life, the Holy Spirit can give us a change. 
Remember that the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfection. Think about this. When we get up into heaven, I believe we're going to be able to see in a clearer way which we saw dimly through a glass. We're going to be able to see how many times God was at work and the Holy Spirit was at work in our life when we didn't even recognize Him. The design and the plan when God moved one person here into your life and then another person over here or circumstance closed and something else opened or we're going to be able to see our loved ones again who've passed that we miss terribly. And there's going to be a great reunion and God is going to bring glory out of it through just the way that He has done it perfectly. But maybe we can't see here. So what does the Holy Spirit groan for you? What does He pray? It says, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is groaning and interceding for us that we will discover the will of God in our lives. A lot of times we feel like, man, I don't know, what is the will of God? You know, the Holy Spirit is praying that you would understand and walk into the will of God in your life. That you're not in this situation alone. And that's why sometimes you look back on your life when you get to be my age, You look back at your life and you see, oh my goodness, I am so glad I didn't do what I thought God, you know, what I thought was supposed to be the right thing. God put a block there and opened up another door. And then he just intricately was at work in my life. And you begin to see the pattern of God. We can't can't comprehend it all, but you begin to see it. That's why, young people, the best thing that you can do is learn to live life in the Holy Spirit. Because if you start now living life in the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit intercede and groan for you, and then you follow those leadings, you're going to walk into a life that is beautifully prepared for you. And God is going to be with you. And even if you have to go through some suffering, he promises that he's going to be with you in the suffering. He promises that he's going to stand beside you and give you the encouragement that you need and the strength that you need that you say, how could I ever go through something like that? It must have been God. God carried me through it. So don't give up hope. Continue to try to live your life in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He'll give you the freedom of reg- from regret. He'll give you the freedom of, from condemnation. He'll give you the freedom from the fear of rejection and failure and those things that you don't do something because you're afraid of what other people will think, especially in our faith and our walk of faith. He'll give you the courage to take faith-filled risks and obey Him when it seems like that would be impossible for me to do. And He'll give us the freedom from despair, hopelessness, 
you know, with God, you know, we have the presence of God with us and we can have hope. We can understand that and know that. That's life in the Spirit. And then freedom from defeat. The Bible says, hey, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So as you think about those, the fears that God has given us freedom from, or those things that trip can trip us up, I hope that you will understand and embrace that and understand that. And when you get discouraged, I hope you'll turn to Romans chapter 8. Read it again and again. Even memorize it. It's worth memorizing. It's one of the greatest chapters of the entire Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word to us today. Lord, I pray that you would continue to lead us out of despair, out of discouragement, out of uh, the difficulties that we face, and into the freedom and the walk of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would experience and encounter you in our lives as we surrender everything to you. As we surrender to you, as we cast all of our anxieties and our worries and our cares on you, you say that you will care for us. You will even carry us when we can't carry ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we'll share this hope with other people. People that are really struggling, some with cancer, some that are struggling with depression. I pray, Lord, that we would intercede for them with the Holy Spirit and lift them up. Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us your promises. You've given us your spirit. So use us. Lord, we'll always remember that you are with us. You will never forsake us. You'll never leave us. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And pray this in Jesus' name.